at a corporate job. I hated it, and eventually I decided to go freelance. Two weeks later, I get a call. My music manager has been shopping around our visuals at the record label. Kid Cudi just greenlit us. <laughs> he wants like audio visuals for his entire album by tomorrow. What, what are you up to like right now? <laughs> it was kind of the story of like, can we use AI to save the day? So really, we we spin up a bunch of servers and we cross our fingers and we just like run it overnight and hope <laughs> and pray that you know the results would be good. I sent them all off. And the marketing team looked at them and they were like, this is not at all what we want. <laughs> they shot down all 12 concepts and they're like, can you make it feel like some stoner, sci-fi, psychedelic stuff? I was like, all right, bet, I'll do that. <laughs> By then it was already like, you know, midnight for them. We took that one concept and just made 12 variations of them. And then I saw them in the morning and I almost cried. I was like, these turn out so good. <laughs> Today, we're super excited to have Jackie Liu, the co-founder and the head of creative of Kyber, a startup dedicated to generating AI art. He is the artist behind Linkin Park's Lost music video, as well as Kid Cudi's intergalactic music video, both of which use AI visuals in large musical productions. And fun fact, my first commissioned piece of art was also from Jackie and the inspiration of one of his computer science classes back when we went to school together at UC Berkeley. Jackie, we're pumped to have you on the pod today. Let's chat about everything that you've been up to recently, but maybe let's take a step back and can you tell us a bit about how you got into art in the first place? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> thanks for the intro. That was very lovely of you to say. And yeah, big big throwback to that, that OG painting. That was actually one of my first like art projects actually so it's in yeah, my apartment wow, kind right of full now. circle here yeah i brought it um, all the way to new york yeah i feel like i've always been someone that's kind of interested in the arts my parents were telling me like i was sick a lot as a kid so like they didn't have the heart to like not let me do things so as a kid i would just be like drawing on the walls like i'd be like this three-year-old and like the first like three feet of like our apartment in china was just like all like me scribbling over it my parents kind of like really knew that I like drawing. I've honestly been drawing as long as I can remember. In high school, the main thing that I did was oil paint. So so I'd be like painting for maybe 20 hours a week, like all throughout high school. And it was just like all I wanted to do. Like I would, I had no social life. I would just go home and I'd watch films and I would paint and I would feel very inspired by like cinema. And then I would paint it in college. Actually, I was really excited to be an engineer. Like I had these like two loves. I was very interested in math and computation, but I was also someone that loved the arts. And I think it was at Berkeley where I just got into computer graphics. I got into computer vision. I was an AI researcher for a little bit and kind of realized that I wasn't actually interested in research. I was just really excited about doing art projects with, with the technology that I was working on. My postdoc kind of sat me down and was like, hey, I don't think your your heart is in research. Like, you should you should rethink this master's that you're, you're thinking of doing. Like, maybe you just want to, like, work on art on the side. And that's what I did. And my professor actually reached out to this, this place in San Francisco. He was like, you should check this place out. They have a lot of cool exhibitions. They do a lot of technology and art. And that's how I got my start. And I started exhibiting AI art. But I've been at it since, like, 2018. Uh, this is kind of like my my weird niche artistic hobby that has suddenly blown up and is now 
like very much in the public discourse, which which is kind of interesting. Yeah, that's awesome. Clearly, like you've had even at an early age ideas of scribblings on the wall, but I think that since then you've got so many more mediums to express art. You have oil. You have even now like generative AI. So I'm curious for inspiration and when you think about what to create, how much of that has been influenced by your idea and inspiration of the world and what you want to put out, how much that has been influenced by having new tools and new mediums and new ways to apply your imagination to art? Yeah, that's such a good question, actually. I think it's so hard to figure out what you want to say as an artist. I think that's still something that I, I, I kind of struggle with. It's like, I think you're always having this loop where you're living your life, you feel like you have a story to tell, and then you, and you try and tell it. And then two years pass by and you look back and you're like, gosh, what was I even, what was I doing? What was I, what was I thinking of? But I think a recurring thing in my work has actually been this fascination with technology. I, I, I think I'm one of the few software engineers that like while studying at Berkeley had very like romantic notions about computation. Like, like in my head, there's like, there's like Monet and there's Picasso and then there's like Claude Shannon, like, you know, like the goats. And <laughs> Like, I think to me, computation is something that's also really beautiful. I think that the, I've always had this feeling that when I'm working on an engineering project or I'm honestly like studying computer science and studying art and thinking about like making things that I was, that was always felt like the same part of my brain. I think in many ways I can't help but be very expressive when I'm an engineer, but also be very analytical as an artist. I'm like somewhere in between. And I think this generative AI thing is kind of like a mix of everything my brain is kind of good at. <laughs> I think a lot about how the new media, in this case being AI, is something that can be very interesting and, and profound. I've been very excited about the emergent properties of AI. So there's this idea that I can just have my data set and I run an algorithm and suddenly all these crazy things appear. And these are things that you would never see a person be able to do. These are kind of almost otherworldly forms and textures. And in many ways, the, the medium isn't the painting or the visuals or the video that you make with the AI. Like the medium is actually the, the AI itself. Like computation is the medium. The, the, the finished visual product is just the way that you can interface with it. But what does art look like when the medium is some kind of algorithm or, or set of computations. I think that's really interesting to me. I'm curious with your upbringing, did you ever have tensions or sort of like artificial push and pull between the creative side and more of the STEM side of you? In elementary school, I was really into art, but it was always like the elective or class that I was really excited for. And then I think probably around middle school, high school is when you start to get a little bit forward thinking. I started thinking compartmentalization, like, oh, I'm a STEM kid. I'm good at math and science. I'm not good at English and social studies. I'm just going to focus on the STEM subjects. And it's interesting now that I'm doing a blend of things as well, like writing, but also still retain that more analytical side of me. Yeah, I had the same experience. I'm not going to lie. I think, I think my parents' willingness to support me in the arts was very much like like a way to, for me to get into college. They, they didn't really <laughs> anticipate that I'd be so into it. 
I think it was really until like it was time to apply to colleges, and I I told my parents like, yeah, I I applied to a couple art schools. They were like, wait, hold up, <laughs> you did what? And yeah, what what it really came down to was they said that we've always wanted to pay for your college, but if you're gonna go art school, like you can make that decision, but we're just not gonna pay for it. That's heavy stuff for an eighteen year old man. It's like, yeah, <laughs> do I believe in myself? Like, do I think I can make a career in the arts? Luckily, I've kind of like ended up <laughs> in that spot where I'm able to do both, but definitely it hasn't been easy. And yeah, I think my parents are still kind of like, like I hope you know what you're doing, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Okay, so zooming out a bit, how do you even view what's going on in the in the world of generative AI, and also especially on the creative side? And I guess the question would be from like the advent of civilization, it sort of seems like the arc of labor trends towards creative work. Like we all used to be hunter gatherers, then agriculture, and then we were like farming and there's all these manual jobs. Like at a time when a lot of people were weaving textiles and then the whatever machine that was invented, people were freaking out about how that would like replace all these jobs. And it seems like we always find a way to invent new jobs that are more creative. I just wanted to get your take on that theory. And if you think what's happening right now is, okay, we're going to automate certain jobs away where there's going to be all these cool new jobs that are more creative that come alive. There's a lot of discourse going on right now. I think I'd want to emphasize that I'm, I'm merely one voice of, of many. I'm kind of drawing on my own experience kind of as someone that is leading an AI creative studio and kind of talking to a lot of people in the creative industry about this technology. I think really it's pretty mixed. Obviously, there's a lot of people on the internet who say a lot of things. But I, I think talking to like real people, I've gotten the sense that overall creatives are pretty excited about this technology. I think a lot of that also is how we think about AI as a company. And I'm sure that you know adds a lot of context to when I'm speaking with creatives. The way that we think about AI, at least our company, is, is very much... We want to figure out ways to creatively enable people. Maybe if I reframe the question, maybe as an artist who is interested in AI, I personally think that it's really, really boring to try and replace people. Like, why would I go out of my way to invent something that just does a half-assed version of what already exists? To me, the much more interesting problem is how do we make systems that let people make things that they couldn't before? There's new formats and new ways to interact with technology and new ways to just be involved in the practice of art that AI kind of enables that I think are really exciting. And I feel like that is the much more interesting discussion to me. But in terms of actual like replacing people or where, where I see this technology going, I talk to creative directors who have done work for like Kanye, Chance the Rapper, like Janae Aiko. I've talked to set designers for, you know, other big name artists. I think I, I met the set designer of someone who worked on like a Kendrick Lamar music video. And there are people in fashion and TV and film. And they're really excited about this because it makes their lives a lot easier. I think what's kind of lost in discourse is that right now, if you are an individual creative and you want to make something, it's really, really hard to make that thing like come to life. It's, it's this constant negotiation of, I have a vision, I need to figure out who's going to pay for it, where am I going to get the people, I have to pitch it to the people who decide how the money gets spent to make something, like, there's so many steps, and 
honestly, like, people are just excited that this will make their lives easier. Instead of, you know, to, to bootstrap a music video, like, right? Like, that could cost thousands of dollars. And if you want to make an animated music, that's like hundreds of thousands of dollars. Maybe 20 years from now, someone can just have a vision and be able to make an entire animated music video with three or four people. I think what's exciting to me is that people who previously would not be able to make creative things are now able to. And, you know, I, my heart does go out to a lot of people, though, who, you know, people who work in concept art or people who work in, you know, that process like there are definitely going to be people who are going to be affected by this i think it's a complicated discussion but at least from a practical perspective most of the people i've talked to are, are pretty excited about it yeah since you mentioned that's the interesting part for you is the new modalities and mediums i i actually think that maybe we don't even have the words to describe some of these new things and when i think about my own personal experience of maybe like creative experiences i've had that maybe could not have existed until recently. I think about going to team labs in Tokyo and having like all these sounds and all these like visuals and all these projections, even like real things like water in the room, but also like Odessa comes to mind. Yeah, for sure. Sorry, what was the question? <laughs> I don't even think there was a question. Okay, yeah, uh, I mean- I have a lot of okay, thoughts about that, to... right? Like, yeah, just uh, no, go ahead. I, I think the, the new modalities is, is interesting to me. A lot of the things that we're thinking about like we're, we are very much inspired by Team Lab and live concert performances and live exhibitions. A lot of the things that are interesting to me are, can we use AI to make artwork that is more interactive? It's like, how do we build some really cool tech and have people experience art in an entirely new way? You've alluded to this a ton of times now in using this technology to build music videos or dream up entire worlds where these videos can, can live. You've done two really notable ones recently, one with Linkin Park and one with Kid Cudi. So I'd love to hear about some of the backstories behind that. Was that done through Kyber? How did you get in touch? And what was the whole production process like? Yeah, for sure. I'll, I'll, I'll let you into some of the lore, actually. So what happened was I was a machine learning engineer. I had a corporate job. I hated it. And eventually I got enough commercial projects as an artist that I decided to go freelance. I went freelance for all of two months. And then my friend Eric, who's now my co-founder, he hit me up and he's like, he's a very talented music producer. And he was telling me like, Hey, I want to use AI to generate visuals for my music video. We, I really want to make an animated music video. How can we do that with a very tiny budget? So we're hacking on this for like, two weeks and I got a call and he told me like, Hey, by the way, my music manager has been shopping around our visuals at the record label. Kid Cudi just greenlit us. <laughs> he <laughs> wants like audio visuals for his entire album by tomorrow. What, what are you up to like right now? <laughs> so <laughs> I was just at a coffee shop working with a friend. So I like, I book it home and we just like work <laughs> overnight. We just been working on it for two weeks. So really we, we spent a bunch of servers. And we cross our fingers and we just like run it overnight and hope <laughs> and pray that, you know, the results would be good. And then we sent it to them and they loved it. They loved the visuals. They were like, these are so cool. <laughs> we're putting yeah. these out tomorrow. Like, these whoa, are so whoa, much whoa, better whoa. than what we were going to do. <laughs> and that was when me and Eric kind of looked at each other and were like, oh, there's, there's something here. And that was the impetus. Eric started working on the beta version of the Kyber app, the commercial app that's yeah. available. 
and around the same time like i was still a freelance artist i was like contracting for for their company essentially wait hold and... on we, we gotta we can't skip on the story <laughs> that quickly 24 hours what is going on why is kid cuddy demanding a music video in 24 hours oh well see that's the thing i'm sad about i never got to meet kid cuddy all of all of this stuff it was the kid cuddy stuff was was a much smaller project it was the album was already out the movie already mm. come out and mm -hmm. basically the marketing team was trying to put together audio visuals some set of lyric videos for social media channels so yeah. i was working with kid cuddy's marketing team and uh... basically they found our visuals and you know this the album was already released and basically in their heads they're like we need to put something out before the seven day streaming numbers come in oh um, so they hit us up and they're like you just press a button and some videos will come out right like ai like <laughs> super cool we need these tomorrows because you know we got to hit our streaming numbers and you know i, I really think being the, type of the, people... the low budget quick turnaround thesis that you had going in yeah for sure you know i think we, we look at those videos now and they're pretty dated but i think for the time they were they're really cool i was i mean i was personally really excited about them so even with a two-week prototype and then overnight sprinting before when you submit it to them like how did you feel about the product the, what you were delivering did you feel good about it oh i thought they were really sick i mean okay. we, we did 12 videos total i think we had maybe one or two misses but everything else Everything else is gas. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I saw it. I've watched it multiple times. It's really cool. <laughs> oh my gosh, I appreciate that. But yeah, we actually we <laughs> it was the most like hectic creative process too, because it was basically us emailing back and forth with their with their marketing team. And originally what I was doing was I had separate concepts for each of the twelve albums and I'd made like ten second loops for all of them and I sent them all off. And the marketing team looked at them and they were like, this is not at all what we want. <laughs> they shot down all 12 concepts and they're like, can you just make it look like the movie? And can you make it feel like some stoner, sci-fi, psychedelic stuff? And then I took that and I was like, all right, bet, I'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then we had like two or three more rounds of feedback and we had like one concept that they really liked. And then by then it was already like, you know, midnight for them. So we just spun up a bunch of servers. We took that one concept and just made 12 variations of them. And then I saw them in the morning and I almost cried. I was like, these turned out so good. Wow. <laughs> yeah. You pulled back the veil a little bit more in like that process of what you did in the two weeks. Yeah, I mean, I'll be upfront. Really what it was is there was a really cool open source project that was, they found a really neat way to take an image generator and have it generate images frame by frame and stitch it into a video. There's a lot of like tricky things that you need to do to kind of make the the subsequent frames more consistent so that it feels like a video instead of just like 20 random photos, essentially. And the two weeks was honestly just us getting set up with this project and taking a lot of our own experience. So I, I kind of have a background in computer vision and computational photography and taking just like hacks. Like I, I feel like, you know, it was... 90% there, but the actual, the last 10% involves some spice, you know, we call it like, sure. just like some polish, I guess. And really what we were working on in those two weeks is just finding ways to get the video to look and feel better, to have more control over what's happening in the scene and, and stuff like that. The process is, I'm literally just sitting on my computer and, and <laughs> typing code. 
Like, it's, it's actually not that exciting or, or, or glamorous, I feel like. I, I wish there was some crazy, like, process, but really it's, it's, it feels a lot like software dev. It's like you're, you're hitting your head against a keyboard until it finally works. To put some context to this, so Kyber, we start, we started the beta in January. Right now we're at, I think, 70,000 paying subscribers and over 5 million signups. And we are now a company of like 15 people and we're entirely bootstrapped. So you can imagine having to build a system to support tens of thousands of users, but you know, all the, the free signups that come to our site and they're generating things to support that volume, but also scaling a team to 15 people, like with no funding, <laughs> like you can, you can kind of imagine what, what that's like. And I think for me, I think I have been kind of fortunate to be able to focus on the things that I like, which is running the creative studio. I think there's different challenges involved, which is how do we make sure that we're working on stuff that'll keep the lights on? Like in many ways, I have to be very picky about creative projects because, you know, I think the, 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 the mission statement to, you know, to running the company is that the, the product needs to kind of like make money and keep the lights on. But I think the studio is very much like we have to push the boundaries, show people really cool things and have them feel like it's worthwhile to come and check out AI tools and almost kind of like legitimize AI art and show people how exciting and interesting it can be. Majority of my time is like, I'm sitting in my room and trying to like make a really sick music video. <laughs> Every time my friends ask me how I'm doing, I'm like, I've aged so much in the last week. Like, I feel like it's, <laughs> it's been kind of crazy, but honestly, I'm having a pretty good time, so. Yeah. Can you talk to us about music videos? Like my experience, my relationship with music videos is like back in the iTunes days when songs were 99 cent and a music video was $1.29. But I feel like in the last, call it eight years, 10 years of my life, I don't really watch that many music videos because streaming has taken over. Like I just, most of the time I'm on Spotify. What have you seen with music videos over the last few years and where do you think they're headed? Yeah, I mean, the sad truth is that music videos are dying right now. Basically across the board, it is generally true that every music artist wants to make a music video because everyone grew up watching MTV and seeing all these sick videos. And it's also like a major way that a music artist can put like a, a, a visual or like a story to their music. So for artists, it's hugely important to them. It's like, this is who I am as an artist. Like, this is how I want you to, to see the music that I'm, I'm making. But no, like music videos don't make any money nowadays. I think there was a time when if you had a crazy music video, you put it on TV or you put it on YouTube and people would listen to your music because they thought your music video was really cool. Uh, mm -hmm. Nowadays, that's just becoming more and more not true. The budgets for music videos are getting less and less. I think big artists, they were spending hundreds of thousands of dollars per music video. Now, like, you'd be lucky to be, like, breaking, like, five figures on a music video, even for the top artists. And, you know, smaller artists, like, you know, probably less than 10 grand per video. So that's kind of like what you're working with with the music industry. Yeah. These days, everyone is very much 
they're much more concerned about making TikTok content, vertical content. We'll go into meetings and we're like, we have this amazing concept for a music video that we want to run by you guys. And they're like, actually, what if instead of paying you 10 grand to make a music video, we just paid you 10 grand to like make 15 TikTok assets for us? Like that is kind of like where the discussion is. And it makes me really sad as an artist because, you know, everyone wants to be making music videos, but really what sells is 15 second TikTok loops. And it's it's not even like TikTok loops made by the artist. It's like what really makes you money is like a 19 year old guy <laughs> living in the Midwest, like making a TikTok about your song and having a pop off. Like if, if music <laughs> record executives mm -hmm could pay a sum of money to have that happen <laughs> and guarantee virality, they would do that every single time. Well, that's pretty sweet. How does that influence your forward-looking future for Kyber? Yeah, I think when it comes to video producers, so a lot of, a lot of big directors get their start making music videos, and it's, it's almost like a place where people who are new to film can kind of cut their teeth. I think in many ways, that's kind of how we're thinking about it too. I think we're making the realization that if we do want to run this creative studio as a profitable business and not just like a sunk cost in marketing to the commercial app, we need to think about what kind of creative projects actually pay. And unfortunately that's not the music industry. So I think right now we're thinking about a lot of other different avenues that we can do creative projects. We've been thinking a lot about getting into fashion or film or TV or doing some kind of live kind of exhibitions, those kind of things. What is a project that you're able to share that you're most excited about that you're working on? Oh my gosh. We have a couple projects right now that are lined up, but I don't, I don't think I can actually share any of them. <laughs> okay. I, I will say that Recently what happened was we were we were getting ready to do this big fashion campaign. We were set to do the social media for this brand's entire fall winter campaign. And it was gonna be a really big moment. And we're talk like when we were pitching the project, we were told that if we were to get it, it'd be an entirely AI centered campaign and it would be a-list celebrities, models, athletes, like their entire roster of influencers, they would all be posting AI videos that we would be making with like models that are trained on each individual like like person. We've been working on it for three months and we sunk a lot of our own money into the project because we thought it was gonna be so big. And they canceled it at the last moment for many of us, especially the founding team. Like this stuff is is kind of like a passion project. In many ways, we're kind of just willing to eat costs because we just want to make things that are cool. And I think the overall vision of this company is not necessarily to scale or be venture backed or even IPO or get acquired. I, I think we just very much want to make cool things and make this technology real and do creative projects with each other. The big reason why we haven't gotten funding is because, you know, we, we are the kind of people that will want to just throw 50 grand into like throwing around concert <laughs> and we really don't want <laughs> anyone around to tell us we shouldn't do that i hope i get an invite to this concert so it can really depend right because you know we did a big music video for lincoln park and all of our first users probably heard of us through that video so in many ways you know like 
you could argue that that music video was worth a million dollars. I've had that song on repeat all day, and Abe has too. I probably listened Jackie, to it at least not times. even lying when I said I've listened to it over a hundred times. I actually just had that on repeat. That's so wild. I, I love mean, that song, and I love the music video for it. Yeah, that music video was honestly crazy to work on. Uh, <laughs> we got in touch with Mike Shinoda, who. Eric knew from this music web three project that he was working on like a while ago. And he came to us and said, we're thinking about releasing new music for the 30th anniversary of Meteora. And I was really excited for that because Meteora was like one of my first albums growing up as a kid. Originally what happened was they were going to have this animation studio do the bulk of it and then we'd be doing a couple scenes here and there to do some world building or do some establishing shots that kind of thing what we quickly realized was that we only had a month to do it and there was no way that they were going to finish animating everything on time and really it was kind of the story of like can we use ai to save the day so basically every single shot essentially in that music video was processed with ai we found ways to take wireframes and basic animations and then add a ton of detail and, and world building using wow. the the ai post-processing technique that we made and because we only had a month it was like this crazy sprint where basically we had a shot list and they would send us assets and they're like we need this process by the ai and we'd run it and we basically had like two <laughs> or three days to invent the technology and if we whatever we had at the end of those three days we just like <laughs> were extremely harsh it was just like this is not ready we're cutting it we're gonna change the shot list new shots so it was like every two three days we just update the shot list do more shots try and get it to look good and eventually you stitch it all together and you have a full video but <laughs> we ended up probably making like <laughs> i want to say like over an hour to two hours worth of footage like wow. for this music video like it was, ins it was like genuinely every day we, I woke up and I was like, how am I going to do this? <laughs> like, what was I'm your... just going to have to try things for, for a few days until it works. What was your lifestyle like during that month? Like, are you getting enough sleep? Are you like slamming a bunch of caffeine? Are you like neglecting social life, your workouts and stuff? It was one of the worst months of my life. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> uh, I basically woke up, was at my computer I wake up like maybe like 7 a.m. and start working and then I wouldn't stop until like 2 a.m. And I'd be doing Jesus. that. I did that almost for a month. I did this really chaotic thing where I, I realized I needed to see my friends or otherwise I'd go insane. So I would work and then I'd go out drinking and then I'd come back and I'd continue working. <laughs> and that's the brutal thing about working with AI is that you just need time for the computer to run. So it wasn't like a ton of work, but I'd come back and I'd be like, I need to leave things running over overnight. So I'd like come home and try and like work for an hour and just like, I'm just like drunk as hell. Just like trying to like type things on the keyboard, yeah. like enter, enter. But yeah, I think, <laughs> I think I've realized I'm never going to do that again. It was definitely like my first big project and every single meeting I was just like, all right, Jackie, just pretend like you've been here before. This was actually the most insane part. We, we finished that music video. Yeah. And the record label execs came back to us and they were like, so I know you just worked for a month straight to do this music video, but Facebook is actually going to pay us 
for an exclusive version. And they need that by next week. So <laughs> is there any way that you can make a completely distinct music video <laughs> for Facebook? And and this time, like, they were just like, we, we were like asking them, like, what counts as distinct? Like, how different does it have to be? And they're like, yeah, ideally, like, you just shouldn't reuse any of the shots you use in the original music video. All of us were just like, what do you mean? Like, we can't do this in a week. So we basically just generated the entire thing with AI. And we brought in one of Eric's, like, <laughs> roommates, who is a video editor. He, he works on his, he's like a filmmaker, and he works on his own music videos. So he's actually exactly the right person that we needed at the time. But we brought him in, and we just basically pulled a couple more all-nighters and we like made an entire oh. second music video that you could only see on facebook that's crazy wow yeah well wow, i mean thankfully is, like my work life balance is a lot better now so you know if you, if you were worried like don't worry it's, it's <laughs> so you're not drinking and then coming back to work for another few hours and getting five hours of sleep yeah yeah no no more no more good no more. <laughs> those days are over <laughs> i was just working such long hours that at that point, like the fact that I was making a music video for Lincoln Park, like left my brain. Like it was just like my sole obsession in life. It was like I just need to make this video look good or else I will die. I was at a friend's place. I forgot the video was coming out that day. I, I finished the video. I slept for like two days straight. And then I was just like <laughs> hanging out. And then I realized like, oh shit, the video comes out like in an hour. And there was like a big YouTube kind of like live stream for the premiere. And the next day, people texted me and they're like, dude, it's trending. Um, wow. And I, I think that was the first day where I was like, or the, the first time I was like, oh, this was real. Like, this was a real project that I that I worked on. And like, people are actually seeing it. I think two months later, they they showed the lost music video on Times Square. And people kept sending that to me. And I was like... That's crazy. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It was just so surreal. It, you, you definitely get this feeling of like, what did I do to deserve this? But also like, you know, is it even that good if I worked on it? Or like, why is it getting all this attention? Mm. And and suddenly you feel like, oh, I guess I'm in the big leagues now. Like, I don't know what to do with myself. Yeah, Jack, we, we had a different guest that opened up a jewelry studio. And she was talking about how at one point, she was like, I can't believe someone would pay $20 for this earring that I made. It just, they they wanted something that I made. Like, they think it's worth this much value. Yeah, for sure. Like, knowing your worth as an artist is so hard because I feel like the most successful artists also tend to be the most critical of themselves. And I, I think I, mean, I see it in all of my friends, too. It's like everyone constantly underestimating, underestimating themselves, so... Yeah, I think it's it's almost universal. How do you yeah. cultivate your sense of taste? Like, taste is something I've been learning about and have come to believe is a skill that gets developed through reps. And so, you know, like the best writers read a lot, the best singers listen to a lot of music or any discipline. So, you know, outside of your actual, what you're producing, what kind of things are you consuming? If you know me, real life like i am such a hater like <laughs> I, I hate on so many things like i feel like i'm one of the most opinionated person so i feel like that's where a lot of this artistic like taste comes from 
Like, I am absolutely ruthless. I, I love the art that I love, and I hate the art that I hate. So, so maybe there's some of that. Like, I think, naturally, I can just be a very disagreeable person. <laughs> so can you, so maybe can you give that. us some examples to, to make it more tangible? Please. A couple things you love, a couple things you don't love? Oh my gosh. I mean, like, like tinfoil, tinfoil hat on. Like, I, I think I hate, like, museum, modern art. Like, I, I am <laughs> such a hater. I, I think that modern art is the way that it is because it's it's marketed to rich people and rich people only it's not meant to actually be enjoyed by people who have sane tastes and things uh, so like I'll, I'll walk into the whitney and i'll be like i hate almost everything here like <laughs> what does this mean obviously like you know artists work very hard their work is valuable but at the same time like i i will see some things where i'm like art feels very personal to me and it blows my mind that you've decided to like make your entire art practice centered around this should i name drop specific things that i like like i'm genuinely curious yeah i'm not sure what have i been like looking at recently there are a lot of like there are a couple of generative artists that i, I really like some people that i follow on instagram this guy named ben heim makes these like beautiful swirling clouds and they're all entirely built with like shaders and generated like it's like all math um and i think they're, they're stunning to look at. Another guy, Rafik Anadol, he's probably the goat of AI-generated art. He did a thing at the MoMA, and I, I learned recently that they're keeping it in the permanent collection, you know, as they should. It looks it looks really, really good. And it's all built on data and, like, machine learning models trained on the entire MoMA's, like, catalog of, of, of art. What's this person? How do you spell his name? Rafik Anadol. Honestly, just look up moma ai art moma. installation like he's probably the first one he's this he's this Tur turkish guy he's been doing AI art for a really long time you know he him? was the guy that i looked up to when i was first getting into it like four years ago yeah very cool cool shit awesome well in in closing here jackie i think it's been really cool to talk to you hear about your story of scribbling on a wall as a as a little toddler to now coming up and, and finding a new medium of art and helping artists and musicians around the world be able to create things out of their imagination. You've taken your machine learning experience at Stripe and combined it with your artist in residence experience at your company. Do you have any parting words for our audience who might be interested in, who might be artists themselves or people trying to pursue their passions like you did? What kind of parting thoughts would you leave the audience? Yeah, I think I would say that, I think when it comes to this stuff, I think authenticity matters a lot, especially in these hot topic fields, whether you want to be a founder, an artist, working as an AI artist, or just are excited about new technology in general. I think there is a lot of propensity for people to try and make money with new technology. But I do think that if you're someone that's really interested in it, the authenticity is very obvious and I think it'll take you a long way. Do what you're excited about and I think the rest will follow. That'll be my advice. Amen. Awesome. I wrote a blog on authenticity, so <laughs> I definitely agree. That's awesome. Thanks so much for coming on. This was fun. If you enjoyed that episode, please like and subscribe. We're just getting started to tell the stories of these amazing creators, athletes, and entrepreneurs. Drop a comment below on what was your favorite part of this episode. And stay tuned because we're going to be releasing new episodes every two weeks 
for On The Rise. See you next time.